tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Kecksburg UFO, Metal Lost Loves, Omar and the Arsonist, and Hospital Baby Nap. I'm your co-host Crystal, and I'm your other co-host Robert, and this is Reenacted an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. It's, whoa, are you an auctioneer? What's going on? Why was that so fast? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, for the people at home, you you may be interested to know that Crystal and I were discussing something different from the opening of the sequence, and then Crystal's asked me if I was ready, and I was focused on that. I was like, "Yes, I'm ready to do that thing," and. Then we start out with the oh you oh yeah okay well uh, sorry for this no it's it's okay it's an amusing little story and I guess that's what I get for not really paying attention (laughs) (laughs) um so Robbie how are you what's new I am okay um I'm actually back I'm I'm at my house not permanently but uh, hopefully soonish. Um, so I got to enjoy sleeping in a bed last night. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, how about you? What are you up to? Um, well, we, uh, we got a dumpster on our driveway. I heard about that. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. Um, you know, generally I feel like our house is pretty organized and clean. Um, but, uh, my boyfriend, David, whose house it is has had various construction projects he's undertaken over the years. And uh, as a result of that, various piles of brick and drywall and other such things have piled up around the yard. Um, So that's what we got the dumpster for. We're clearing that. I've been, like, hucking a lot of bricks. Um, You know, so we're going to have a nice yard, and I'm pretty excited. Cool. That's really awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like people can like come in our house and it's not embarrassing. It's fine. But it's like, don't go in the yard. Uh, definitely don't <laughs> go in the garage. That's that's another well, nightmare. You, but you didn't have to worry about that with me. I, I think after we arrived <laughs> at, at your place, yeah. uh, your boyfriend was like, here's the room that you can sleep in. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I just immediately crawled into that bed. Yeah. I mean, uh, I hope it was comfortable. I hope our guest room was. Oh, yeah, it was fine. Well, bear in mind that I ha- probably hadn't slept on an actual bed for at least like a month leading up to it. So it seemed almost <laughs> wow. luxurious to me. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I like your boyfriend a lot, too. Um, Yeah, he's a good one. He has excellent taste in what, you know, <laughs> sketches from Mr. Show with Bob and Dave. <laughs> yeah, what was it? What did you ask him again when you were here? Well, no, uh, Well, he asked me, like... I brought up. I, I saw that he had the DVDs mm-hmm. in your your guys's whatever room, and I asked. Yeah, I brought brought up the topic of, topic of that show, and he seemed only too eager to sort of casually ask me if I had a favorite Mister Show sketch. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, the sketch I named 
apparently is his favorite sketch as well. Yes, and what was that? It's the one where they blow up the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, uh, speaking of blowing up the moon, should we... uh... Talk about UFOs. We yes. Uh, should <laughs> or, we do Should we do the contest thing first, or talk about the episode oh, of Unsolved Mysteries? Oh, I don't. Yeah. I don't honestly know where the contest thing should belongs. Maybe we put it at the end. Or or, or do it now. Okay, we do, we do it now. I, I, I was so I was so ready for it. Sorry, that I, I, I sped through. No, no. Well, uh, I mean, and, and there are some odds that this entire chunk is going to get edited out anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, so last time I picked eight. All right, so we didn't hear from Hank Key, who was our contest winner of the uh, Robbie and Crystal's authenticated Hollywood one Hollywood video $1 off coupon for the audio tapes of, what was it? I don't <laughs> even remember. Twilight Zone radio dramas. The Twilight Zone <laughs> radio dramas. So this contest is, Robbie is going to prepare a, a framed... Uh, situation. There'll be a picture of us holding the coupon. Uh, there'll be the coupon well, itself that we both will have signed. What What else were you going to include in that package? Yes, uh, there's. It's It's going to be just a nice little uh, framed display. Uh, I kind of am going for. I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this yet mm-hmm. on the podcast. I'm going for. If you remember the episode of Seinfeld where George has to sign the uh, card mm-hmm. at his place when he's working for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And yes, he he's supposed to give it to a coworker to sign it mm-hmm. through usual comedy of errors, doesn't. And somehow that card ends up getting framed by a card shop owner in this huge display with like pictures of the, the Yankees mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, my the when we started out this this contest, I I actually had in the back of my mind I, I'm on on the surface, it's just this this fun little thing where, like, we're giving away literally a worthless thing to to our loyal listeners and made a contest out of it. Mm-hmm. But back of my mind, I actually was like, I'm actually going to treat them with a little, like, rump display with all sorts of little things. Like, I, I believe in addition to the picture, I, I, I was going to you're going to get a like certificate of authenticity. Mm-hmm. This is like an authentic Hollywood video, $1 off coupon for the twilight zone radio dramas signed by Crystal and Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's the story. So we're going to, re- we're going to redraw cause we didn't hear from our last uh, contest winner. Well, technically like we uh at the time of this recording we it, that's a future event but yes if you're hearing this then he hasn't gotten back to us <laughs> right so <laughs> anyway like robbie's just uh pulling back the curtain and revealing all the magic of uh sometimes it feels like the and being involved with this t- podcast has like an element of like time travel to it mm mm-hmm. mhm well, I mean, I think that's the nature of the subject material that we cover. And then you add on, you know, we're usually recording this several weeks before releasing it. 
maybe months. Who who can say? I'm you know the are stretching from like two days to three months. Uh yeah. Well, you know what? This is our podcast, and I'm the one that's in charge of editing it, and uh, I'll release it when I feel like it. So that said, we're gonna redraw. Okay. And um, let's see. Okay, so I picked eight last time, right? From the, yes. I've not oh. seen. Robbie has a a number a list of folks who submitted five-star reviews, either on Facebook or iTunes. He has written their names. He has randomly assigned a number to each of their names. I have not seen this list. So, yeah. and so I'm going to randomly pick a number, and then Robbie will tell us who has won. Okay. Okay. Uh, I pick the number. What Out of how many numbers? <laughs> One to thirteen. One to thirteen. All right. How about lucky number thirteen? That is the comment that was left by the podcast. Glenn thinks stuff. So we're gonna assume his name is Glenn. Glenn. And Glenn should get in touch with us. it's reenactedpod at gmail.com. You have to get in touch with us and tell us what your mailing address is. And if you don't do that, you won't get the thing. We're not going to get in touch with you. You have to get in touch with us. It seems like it's entirely possible that this coupon exercise mm-hmm. might just reveal to us how few of our original listeners are still left. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've probably alienated a lot of people either through, like, attrition because we, like, didn't keep making episodes or people got bored. Controversial opinions. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've had some pretty hot takes on the show. Yes? Speaking of blowing up the moon... (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to talk about this uh, very excellent episode? Uh, it was season three, episode one of Unsolved Mysteries. Do you want to talk about it? I do. All this right. Was actually, this was a great episode. It was so good. I was so happy season three like came came out strong. Jammed, packed. It was really Whoa. packed, but like everything on its own, I felt was very solid in this episode. Yes, yes. This is. I think we we finally gotten the karma payment after numerous episodes of like 25 minutes of bs robert kennedy assassination theories mm-hmm, mm-hmm. five minutes of some woman uh t- who learning about some woman who had dreams about paddle bolts or something yeah this 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 i feel like is the real meat and potatoes of what, what unsolved mysteries is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel I feel like they've hit their stride. I think in season three, this is probably what we can. I want to think this is what we can expect more of this kind of quality, maybe, quality maybe, programming. Maybe it explains why Robert Stack sounds so excited when he says season premiere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Early on, he seemed yes. So our first segment is a ufo segment mm-hmm. well technically it's an unexplained unexplained yes segment uh this takes us back to the ni- mid 1960s on december 9th 1965 there was this bright 
almost looks like it was a cartoon animated Flash. I, you know, the way they animated the whatever it is flying through the sky, mm-hmm. um, it really kind of looked like a sperm to me. It's like <laughs> one squiggly sperm with a tail rocketing I, through the sky. I cannot say that I did not have the same thought. I wasn't going to mention it, but I guess since you've already did, I'll just come out and admit I also thought we were going to see some sort of like fertilization. Where did baby where do babies come from? <laughs> well, <laughs> when your father and mother love each other very much and your father uh, shoots shoots it into the sky uh, across uh, rural Pennsylvania and some parts of Ontario. And then uh, nine months later, there's a baby. <laughs> uh, born somewhere outside of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Yep. <laughs> yes, this this follows sort of the standard outline of what you would expect from a crashed UFO sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You have multiple witnesses see this flash across the sky. You get government officials interested in what's going on you get the local fire department stumbling upon some mysterious object you get the government people secretly secreting the thing away Mm -hmm. a lot of questions afterwards Mm -hmm. now i don't know do should we should i pose the question what do you think really happened now or or do we want to wait until we get to the end uh let's wait till we get to the end yeah, because I think I think we both know what happened. I don't. I I don't feel very certain, truly. Oh, after okay. having watched this, so the other thing about this segment that I think m- makes it really stand out from a lot of the other unexplained segments uh, that we've had is instead of like one or two witnesses, and then we get some sort of like Mulder expert. Have you checked everywhere. Agent Mulder <laughs> we actually and 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 they seem very bo- stack is almost very boastful of this when he's doing his narration of this segment is for the first time they've gotten 10 eyewitnesses to this event together for the first time to like talk about um what what they saw and what happened and so you get a really full uh spectrum you get uh some kids that mm-hmm. were out playing when when and and there's I think three different set they're now grown ups, yeah. you know grown ups. <laughs> um, you get three different sets of kids that can t- they were outside playing, say what they saw. There is a like a farm wife that describes also seeing the crash of this object. Um, I think there's. Uh, a couple of folks who were involved with the then volunteer fire department at the time that came to the scene. And Mm -hmm. then uh, they also interview some eyewitnesses to the uh, supposedly it was the air force that came and took this object out of the woods. So there's like, there's a full timeline. There's a full spectrum of witnesses. Um, They're all kind of sort of corroborating each other's story. There doesn't seem to be a lot of, um, disagreement among each each witness as to what they saw where it landed and then what happened afterwards so right that's... These, these these are things that actually happened yes as to what, yes. What, what you know what exactly happened is, yeah. is a question but 
this isn't just someone making up a story no. about like how they are abducted out of a you know parking lot outside a grocery store. No, or it is absolutely not that. It is it is several people of various ages and locations um, saying that they saw something come out of the sky. Mm-hmm. So I think that that puts this whole segment on like really interesting footing because oh, yes. we cannot argue that a bunch of people saw something. It did happen. Yeah, th- this is a, a dramatic departure from some earlier segments where we get BS stories, mm-hmm. then, like, some guy p- selling a book. You ever had the suspicion that you've been abducted by aliens? And the other thing that I think is really interesting about this case is I hadn't heard of it before, this episode. It's not familiar, yeah. I, I don't distinctly remember this particular UFO segment from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so... <laughs> I want to talk about the reenactment, though, because... Man, there's so much to talk about. There's in the... so much to talk about. So the first thing that happens is we see um, some kids riding their bikes. And they look up and they see this thing and this sperm, like, shooting across the sky. And the, <laughs> like, the face acting that these kids do is just phenomenal. I didn't even pick up on that. They're They're, like, jaws dropped and, like, <laughs> eyes wide and... Um, Almost as if they had seen a kid just get their tongue stuck to a pole. Yeah. In the winter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. they're they're really uh, they're doing they're doing some big faces. Um, I think right after that they show another. Uh, so those kids take off on their bikes. Whatever. That's in. I think that was in one part of Pennsylvania. Uh, the next scene is a kid down by the creek, as he says. Yeah. Um, he's hucking <laughs> he's hucking rocks, and. Uh, Again, he sees this thing like shooting through the sky, mm-hmm. and um, and just just total amazement. Like they found the best child actors, I think they possibly could <laughs> for this reenactment. Um, and then finally, there's an I think there's another set of children that are out uh, riding their bikes near their farm, and um, they in cowp. Yeah, the cow the cowp children. Um, they start going out to, I believe, what they refer to as the hauler uh, by their farm, and uh, they see this thing crash. Um, it's so funny, though, because when the kids, they show the kids' reaction to the crash and the smoke, uh, yeah. the kids just, like, have this, like, oh, shit, look on their faces, <laughs> and, like, book it. Like, the kid drops the bike. The kids, like, book it back to the farmhouse. Um, I just thought that was like really a fun touch in the uh, reenactment. So, um, I, you know, the other thing I really like about this, just the circumstances or how they, they set up the segment is that they started with all the kids points of view first. So it's true. If you notice, they don't actually interview any adults that saw this thing come through the sky and then land. It's all from the point of view of then children. Yes. Which yeah. makes it feel very like E.T., you know, very like Spielberg esque kind of. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I see exactly what you're saying. Um, well, and and the, the, of course, since they're actually coming across stuff, it's not just like it was a weird imagination thing. Uh, the, the, you know, it's you know, the, the kids discovered something, and and the the now the you know, eventually the adults are going to believe too. Yeah, um, for whatever reason, uh, they put Stack in the creepy woods. 
to talk about <laughs> this. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where he is. It's just very eerie wood forest type situation. So he's like backlit. I don't know. He's probably just in a public park in LA, but they made it look very <laughs> creepy. Um. So, so what happens next, Robbie? After uh, well, their mother, Frances Kalp, hears on the radio uh a broadcast where they they mention this you know there's that it, some sort of I can't remember they say that there was an airplane crash or what, uh, but she calls up on the phone. Because uh, they say, please call in if you have any information. And she's like, oh, it wasn't an airplane that crashed. It was a piece of an airplane or something, blah, 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 blah. And then immediately, within like a few minutes later, she gets a phone call. I believe she it was initially someone from the U.S. Navy. Uh, and then there's actually a lot of different phone call stuff going on. Like, like the operator's telling them to, uh, someone's telling her to like, you know, Stay where you are, keep an eye out on what's going on. And when she asks, what did she ask? Like, should I call the fire department or something? And she's like, no, 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 no. Call us and we'll call the fire department. Some, you know, something along those lines, right? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. It, well, wasn't the deal like she called the radio station? Yeah. Saying, yeah, yeah, that thing crashed out by my farm. Uh, a little while later, she gets a call. Yeah, what was it from the Navy? I I believe the Navy was the first for yeah yes. And then yeah, and then the wildest. Thing, so she hangs up the phone with the Navy, and she's like, okay. And then she goes to call her like friend to be like, listen to this shit. Oh, and then yeah, she gets interrupted. Yeah, the operator. Well, because it was the sixties, and I guess the operator could just come in and be like, "Phone call over. Here's another one." <laughs> um, yeah, it was the state police, I think. Yes, that yes. interrupt her phone call with her friend and said they were going to send somebody down. Yes, and subsequently, uh, the state police and two men in civilian clothing, who I believe the show went to the effort of emphasizing didn't identify themselves mm -hmm. showed up uh went off in the direction that they got pointed to uh, one of them is holding like a geiger counter i think mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so well you know, that's our... that's what we assume they they tell the the kelp family or some, something like you can't come over here because the radiation I, I remember eventually at some point in the segment, radiation got brought up. Yeah, I think it was then because they had some that Geiger counter you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so whatever this when, object is, is probably irradiated. Yes, yes, very certainly. Uh, and subsequently after that is when we get introduced to Jim Mays, the volunteer fighter, f firefighter. Mm -hmm. I, they, so so you have a lot of gyms on this fire department. Yeah. So well. So this is gym one. Yeah, gym okay. one. Okay. Uh, gym one. You know, he's part of he's part of the all the volunteer firefighters. They're gathering together to, I guess, find this crashed plane, or allegedly. Whatever. Yes. Um, well, actually, before they all gathered together, he he actually Jim rode with some state troopers to the nearby ravine, mm -hmm. and from there he could see, he saw blue flashing lights, mm -hmm. 
He said they were uh, seemed to be on a timer. They yes, were, like, had a rhythm to them. Right. So because this potentially could be a crashed aircraft or something, mm. the all the volunteer fire department of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, gets all organized. Uh, apparently, if you live in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, you do have to wear plaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Every, that's what every firefighter is wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I don't know about you, but the guy who seemed in charge and was giving out instructions, like, mm-hmm. you know, team one, team two, mm-hmm. he seemed like his voice and mannerisms made it feel like he should be playing, like, a hoodlum in a Batman <laughs> movie or something yeah did you get that feeling yeah he was pretty um he did not read rural pennsylvania to me no he he yeah i i totally see what you're saying he, he was a bit of a gruff kind of had a east coast city an un uh decipherable east coast city type <laughs> accent yes yeah yes so these teams they go out into the woods searching and very quickly team one discovers and i can't remember is this was it jim two who was on team one that actually finds the thing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so jim two and team one find what to me looked like one of those kongs that you put peanut butter in and give to a dog Mm -hmm. to play with yeah my dog has one Yeah. yeah only you know this this is obviously for a dog that would measure something like 35 feet in length Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, twenty feet in height and mm-hmm. weigh approximately twenty thousand pounds. Is that how big Clifford was supposed to be in those books? You know, I don't believe we ever ever got a actual data breakdown on Clifford Clifford stats, but that was that that was the guesstimate I that I was trying to use uh, was like trying to describe Clifford here. <laughs> okay. Oh man! Oh, imagine cleaning up after <laughs> Clifford. Well, th- thankfully, Clifford seemed, if I, I can't recall, but he was a he like he was a little more intelligent than a normal canine, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't he like sentient and could speak? Or am I just misremembering that? I don't. I don't know. I just remember he was big and he was red. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. But I hope. Yeah. Hopefully, like he's going in just one spot and just sparing everyone in the neighborhood mm. the the cost of renting renting a bulldozer to clean up after him oh man well a bulldozer uh or, or no um uh which what's the one that like you can like lift the stuff up in you're gonna need a dump truck too is it not a can a bulldozer not lift as well as push well there's like there's there's different ones, right? There's one where the blade is just sort of fixed, and you just uh-huh. use it to like knock stuff down. Uh-huh. And then there's the type where uh, you can you know uh, collect stuff up into it, raise it up, take it somewhere, and dump it off. Maybe that's just I think it's like called like a land mover or something. A land mover. That sounds right. Yeah, I yes. don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're you're basically going to need a a full set of heavy yeah. <laughs> heavy equipment to be dealing yeah. with uh, Clifford. I mean, that's the thing. You're really hoping Clifford's just picking one spot in the yard. Just one spot, you know. 
that 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 makes all the difference. Um. So they find this big old Kong toy in the woods. <laughs> uh, Jim Jim Two gets a real good look at it, and uh, and I don't know if you know this about Jim Jim Two here. Is not only is he a volunteer firefighter, firefighter, <laughs> he is a expert uh, linguist and scholar of the written world word uh, ac- across all cultures. I was going uh, to look up what the term is for someone who's a specialist in the actual written word of stuff. It's a uh, lib- libers- libertarian <laughs> libraries. <laughs> I don't actually know. Um, so uh, his his name um, is James Rom- Romanowski, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, R- R- Romanowski. So, yeah. well, but we'll just call him Jim too. So he, you know, him and in Team One uh, of the Kecksburg Volunteer Fire Department. I just love this story. I'm sorry, it is so great. It's like it's totally a Spielberg movie. How fun is this entire story? Right, right. Um, so they so they come up to the Kong toy, and there's like all this crazy writing on it. And uh, Jim too goes like, I have I have looked up Japanese, Chinese, Scandinavian, Filipino, uh, ancient Egyptian, ancient Assyrian, Aramaic, Hebrew, uh, Cyrillic, Russian writing. I looked up all the <laughs> Polish writing. I know all the languages, and this was not written in any of those languages. Um, is what he says. So we're. Yes. Uh, although weirdly, I think the other firefighter, Jim one also saw the Kong toy. Yeah. Maybe he didn't get close enough. I don't know. Maybe he just saw the blue light, but like Jim two is the only one to mention this writing situation on it. Right. So I'm a little dubious. I think this guy's, you know, he's, uh, what's, what do you call it when you increase the size of the fish from the fishing story? There's a oh, an idiom for that. What is it? What is not, it? Not tall tail. Um, be, fish. Um, uh, uh, I don't know. Well, he's he's uh, embiggening uh, the yeah, he, fish. Yes, he, he is embiggening the fish. Um. Another important thing to remember about Jim too is, in fact, he is the guy that has the sideburns that connect to his mustache. Uh, and that's it. There's no beard. It's good luck. It's good luck for him. Very distinctive. Uh, yeah. So what happens next? Oh, then the then the uh, air force. Uh, yeah, the mi- military up. guy emerges out of nowhere and is yeah. like, "This area is quarantined. You're going to have to leave." Yeah. Um. I, you know, the thing is, time after time, and I think this has something to do with probably living in a, a rural area, maybe. I don't want to say that's why, but no one says, hey, can I see your credentials? Yes. Because, yeah. I don't know, I mean, I realize they're just volunteer, they're just volunteer firefighters, um, but they, uh, no one says, all right, can I see some ID? Who are you? Who right. are you to tell me to leave? Well, and also it was like, it was it was the early 1960s, so I mean, shit. If if it had been the Eisenhower era, I would have, I would have said like, well, they're just gonna, you know, believe a man in uniform mm-hmm. right off the bat. I mean, mm-hmm. why wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, though, I think also what what sort of 
was distracting for me for for me was mm-hmm. that looking at some of the uniform collections mm. and just the way certain people are moving about and standing mm-hmm. if these <laughs> if these reenactors had been trying to pass off pass the were the ones trying to pass themselves off. I think the town maybe would have been a little more incredulous because the mishmash of uniform stuff I was seeing, mm-hmm. it definitely feels like, you know, the cost, the costume person in charge of costume was like, okay, we need you to get 30, you know, military uniforms from like the 1960s go. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. just basically had to go here, you know, from one place to another collecting what they could to yeah. cobble this all together. Well, whoever the the lead Air Force guy is, um, because he isn't identified, he just kind of looks like your standard, like, commercial airline pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I can't dispute that. So do you think, like, all the kids, he's going to give little model planes to all the kids Mm -hmm. in this film? Yeah. Yeah, they get to visit the cockpit for sure. Thank you for flying Delta. Yeah. Um, so the weird thing is, they uh, so the Air Force rolls up. They kick the volunteer firefighters away from the Kong toy. They're like, this is our peanut butter. Get it out of here. Um, <laughs> they kick them out. And then, like, like, they're suddenly rolling pretty deep in military guys. They, oh, yeah. They show they're... Jeeps showing up. They show, like, these armored cars showing up. They they tell the volunteer fire department that they're going to be using their station as a base. Yeah, they commandeer with their, with their permission, of course. But like, they only really kind of quasi ask for that permission. Yeah. They've already established that they're doing it. Yeah. Again, though, I'm wondering if you're going to take over my fire station, I need to see some ID. I need some <laughs> names. I need to call somebody back at your office. To make mm-hmm. sure that this is protocol. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like folks were asking a lot of important questions like, who the hell are you? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, but before they commandeer the fire station, I think they run up to uh, a near another nearby farm, uh, the Hayes Farm, I want to say. They interview Lillian Hayes. Uh, and uh, they come to her farmhouse and they want to use her phone. To call whomever. And there's part of the reenactment where the airline pilot is like on the phone at the Hayes farmhouse. Like talking to someone and using a lot of very urgent words. Um, And then Lillian says, but you know what? That call was never on our bill. The plot thickens. Meanwhile, the millennials are like, the phone call's not on their bill. What do they mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Because yeah, back back in those days, your the individual calls are what you get charged for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there used to be like uh, zones for Zone. long distance, right? So local calls would be like within your town or whatever, um, and then anything outside of that, you'd be charged for. Yeah, if you're going to call someone on the opposite end of the country, you had to make it just a phone call of a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, you had to be adept at just spitting out the mm-hmm. crucial crucial information and then getting the hell off the line. Yeah, well, and I don't think it was even until the 1980s or early 90s where we got the nights and weekends free thing. 
Because this call is on MCI Primetime. $8 for an hour of calls starting at 5. AT&T could cost 15 Yeah. Remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyways, <laughs> that's a... Uh, Here's your millennial uh, corner <laughs> for the day. <laughs> uh, yeah, so 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 then it'll just like a lot of weird shit starts happening in Kecksburg. They there's guys that show up uh, in the reenactment. They're in sort of hazmat suits. They call them uh, moon suits. Moon suits. Um, yeah, if you hadn't seen one before, a person in a hazmat suit, like I would totally understand you calling it a moon suit. And they're carrying in the reenactment. They're carrying this huge white box. But it's, like, not a big enough box to carry the Kong toy in. <laughs> so, was there something else? Can you find a way to scan for life forms? I would be happy to, sir. I just love scanning for life forms. Ooh, are you thinking bodies? Um, I think that's what Unsolved Mysteries is implying. Okay, that's an interesting route. I kind of just assumed that whoever was in charge of this segment wasn't paying too close attention to the size difference between the Kong and the box these guys are carrying. Well, I would say yes, but it's actually the eyewitness um, that says that box wasn't big enough to carry what had crashed in the woods. He presumes that, but although now we're talking about an eyewitness. So when the trucks come in and all this stuff by the volunteer fire department, a crowd gathers um, Mm -hmm. on the road to just kind of see what's going on. Um, And so it's the eyewitness from that crowd that says that box didn't seem big enough to go get was what was in the woods. Uh, So possibly there's something else down there. I think that's the implication that Unsolved Mysteries is going Um, they also in the reenactment they show the Air Force uh, taking out whatever the object is. It's all wrapped up. Everybody seems to agree it's kind of, it's definitely Kong toy shaped. <laughs> Everyone can agree on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, uh, at this point, Stan Gordon, here we go. Here's our Mulder, shows up to talk about. Stan Gordon, in fact, was not in Kecksburg. He was not there. Um, but he's a UFO researcher. You ever experienced a period of missing time? That's that's as good, if not better, than actually being there. Yeah. So um, he pieces together through like various eyewitnesses that the trajectory of whatever this object is they saw in the sky was something else uh, that had been spotted in uh, Ontario also that day so whatever it is came down through ontario like turned uh went through some part of pennsylvania turned and slowed down and then eventually landed in kecksburg so it didn't it didn't it's that's uh, his suggestion is that's not what uh a meteor would do so if everyone had just seen this meteor it would have kind of come in a straight arc um and then crashed and it wouldn't have slowed down or glided as they say, uh, to its final landing point in Kecksburg. And then there's a really nice graphic where they show the path of... um, Oh, Greensburg, Pennsylvania. You know, I've been there. What? (laughs) Well, Greensburg Greensburg is near Kecksburg. It's like literally the only place in Pennsylvania I've been is Greensburg, Pennsylvania. (laughs) What? Um, It was for a work trip. It's not a very interesting story. Okay, never mind. 
Yeah, there's uh, no, there's nothing there to that. <laughs> well, yeah, the yes, this motor guy does make a valid point that this isn't a meteor. I, I'm willing to believe. I, I, I I'm convinced it's not a meteor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, on, the only thing is, is that was never really in question, right? Because what they found wasn't a meteor. It was an actual, like, physical... It was something that had been molded and shaped. Yeah. 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 So, um, and I think Unsolved Mysteries does a pretty good job, at least of exploring other possibilities. Like, was this, like, a piece of detritus from the Gemini space program um, that was going on back then? Back then? Um, through the, you know, the Freedom of Information Act, they requ- request a bunch of info. You know, there had been other inquiries to this thing in Kecksburg, um, from everyone from the Pentagon to NASA. There had been a lot of inquiries about it. Basically, the only information the, U- the Air Force would release is to say that they had investigated it, they didn't find anything, and they assume what everybody saw was a meteor. Yes. Except there's lots of eyewitness accounts saying the Air Force pulled something out of the woods and drove it away. <laughs> yes. So, um... Crystal? Yes. I'm going to give you a list. <laughs> so all, all things that were list, uh, mentioned in, in this segment. Yes. And I want you to... I don't know, I guess, like, tell me which one you think is the most likely. Okay. Space debris. Okay. Meteor. Mm-hmm. Fallen satellite. Mm-hmm. Or, quote, genuine extraterrestrial craft, unquote. What was the first option? Space debris. I don't think it's any of those things. No? No. I, I, I'm immediately going to eliminate meteor because... Yeah. No. I'm going to eliminate uh, extraterrestrial UFO. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, fallen satellite, maybe. That that happens sometimes. Yes. Um, uh, space debris? I Yeah, that's the close. I guess space debris is the closest to what I was thinking it was. But isn't that a fall? Isn't space debris a fallen satellite? Yeah, I, I'm kind I of the same sure thing. what the distinction is between why they felt I mean, that's it. the list that Unsolved Mysteries basically goes through. Basically, but... get... yes. Uh, do you... Are we at the point now where we can discuss what we believe is the... Yeah, I, yeah, I think we, we've spent uh, a good 30 minutes uh, going over this segment. So, yeah, I think we can offer our theories. I believe it was a piece of military hardware that may have had some radiation aspects to it. I have to say, the fact that, like, I mean, in the segment, it's depicted as a big Kong toy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. people are basically saying that this was, what this sounds like the tip of a missile or mm-hmm. a, a rocket. Mm-hmm. And that's what I kind of feel it probably was. But why the cover-up? Because the government didn't want people to know that it had just irradiated the town of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, what it sounds like to me is kind of like the military had a whoops. Yep. They had a big whoops. Big and... whoops. 
that's why they got on the radio saying, hey, if anyone can find this thing. Um, I think maybe they were, t- yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you. I think, uh, it was probably the tip of a missile or something, something they probably didn't intend to end up in rural Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. but maybe there was like a problem with the tracking or guidance system and whoops. Oops. And they covered it up so as to cover up their own incompetence, which I think is the most parsimonious explanation for the reason any cover-up happens is to cover <laughs> up a whoops. <laughs> so. Yep. Oh, okay, so we agree then. You're right. You're right in the beginning. <laughs> we <were gonna laughs> agree on what it was. Um, nonetheless, uh, a, a great segment, I thought. Oh, oh, this was a fantastic segment. Uh, you know, a UFO segment and not one that was just full of charlatans and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was something that actually happened and yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, the only eyewitness that seemed to be truly haunted by what they had seen <laughs> was a uh, volunteer fireman, uh, Jim too, seemed to be very much still into, cause he went and looked things up. He was haunted by what he saw. He couldn't. Do you? Do you think it's possible those images he saw were just like damage to the missile tip that he thought was writing? Yeah, I mean, it probably could have like burned up and had been English or some kind of uh, serial number right. that he only saw parts of. Because, man, the, the fact. What do you think happened first? Do you think mm-hmm. he was just uh, someone who had a deep and robust interest in language? Or do you think he was so haunted by this encounter that he just began studying languages, trying to get, <laughs> trying to solve the mystery? Well, we don't really know how much time he like spent on this. Maybe he just went down to the local library and checked out a few books. No, I guess you that's know, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I I'm surprised honestly more of the eyewitnesses from Kecksburg. They were just seemed pretty uh, nonchalant about the whole event. And mm-hmm. if I had been a party to this thing happening in my small town, which is probably one of the more exciting things that's ever happened in Kecksburg, I have to assume, um, I, you know, I think that's something I would carry into an adulthood and still have a, a real curiosity about. It's probably something I would have continued to look into mm-hmm. in, in, in the face of not having an answer as to what it really was. I, I don't accept meteor. No. I don't accept their, <laughs> the, the Air Forces. I think they're trying to cover their ass. That's what they're trying to do. But, um, yeah, anyway, this was a really great, this was fun. It's a good time. Uh, Robbie, should we move on to, to this update slash lost love segment? Oh, the, you know, and this this episode of Unsolved Mysteries is so great because even though I mean, I think by this point we've established I'm not a big fan of the Lost Love stuff, Mm-mm. but this is so neat because it has a little twist to it. Mm-hmm. This Lost Love is not due to this Lost Love got solved before it was even a segment by a previous segment of Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe it was in season one, I want to say. 
Yeah. Maybe, I don't think it was a, maybe it was a segment we covered. Maybe we didn't, but. Well, well I, 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 I did some digging, mm-hmm. tried to try to find out what the segment was. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm still a little unsure because do you remember a segment involving like a pizza place owner in Georgia being killed by like a rival? Pizza oh place? yeah. We did talk about that one. I this <laughs> yeah this is season one for sure yeah 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 this ties this ties into that but oh the, what yeah yeah so one of the one of the people interviewed for that segment turned out to be the father miss the father that a woman had been looking for for years yeah this is wild so they present this segment as an update but it really isn't an update it is kind of a standalone. They're not updating the previous segment they had aired. That's just kind of a standalone <laughs> Lost Loves. Yes. Um, so the deal is uh, this gal um, and this guy who were dating and I think uh, around Amarillo, Texas in the uh, I don't know, the late 50s maybe? Uh, yeah, well, well, that's the thing. We get an introduction where I think they, I think it was like fifty-eight or something. But where Stack was like, Ike was president, Elvis was on mm-hmm. TV, and uh, something, something, you know, really trying to set the tone that this was the the nineteen fifties. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was the nineteen fifties. Eighteen-year-old uh, what's her face and twenty-two-year-old uh, La- Lavar Burton, Lavar, Lavar <laughs> Ball. <laughs> It'd be the only time that LeVar Burton's gotten laid. Uh, oh, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know well, that's I, not true. I think you're confusing uh, LeVar Burton with his character, Jordy, from... Oh, Canada. sorry, sorry, you're right, you're right. You, you know LeVar Burton cleans up. But you don't have to take my word for it. Oh, it's not oh. even a question. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. I also so, think he's been married for a really long time, so maybe we shouldn't talk about him that way. So LeVar Ball, LeVar Bates? Bates. LeVar Bates, thank you. There's too many Lavars. Um and Peggy Atwood are dating and things are going pretty grand and uh one day Peggy decides to swing by they live sixty miles apart, so Peggy decides uh after a couple months of dating she's gonna swing by her uh Lavar's place in Amarillo for a surprise visit, uh so he didn't have to drive to her place and um she, uh, he, he goes in the bathroom to finish, like, shaving or whatever. Because, again, it was a surprise visit. Um, and she spots a picture of, like, an ex-girlfriend or something on his bureau. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he tells her that they went on a couple of dates or something. Yeah, just some nobody. It wasn't a big deal. And, uh, Peggy fully admits that, you know, she was 18 she freaked out. And she was just like, oh, you are not two-timing me. And she leaves. Mm-hmm. Lavar's place. They never see each other again. That's it. Yep. Game over. Well, mm-hmm. it's something like the next week or the next month, uh, Lavar's construction company transfers him to Colorado. So uh, it was also during this time that Peggy finds out that she is pregnant, which she didn't know when she left in a huff. Might explain yeah. the behavior, though. Honestly. <laughs> oh, the the, the hormones yeah. are making very but she's she's blaming it on being 18, which, again, totally reasonable. Uh, so, yeah, so Peggy's pregnant. Um, this is pre-Roe versus Wade in Texas, so I think she kind of had to go through with it. 
Um, <laughs> sorry to be dark about it, but <laughs> well, 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 that's true. I, I mean, her, her really like her only options are just to go through with it or disappear for nine months, mm-hmm. and then the you know the family raises it like it was like this distant cousin, and they mm-hmm. don't mention that that. It's or yeah, actually... or she has to give up the kid for adoption or something. Yeah. So, um. We, I don't. We don't really know if Peggy at that time tried to track down Lavar and let him know. She just said, you know, he wasn't around anymore, through uh-huh. no fault of his own. Truly, he didn't yep. know. She didn't know. Um. So, fast forward thirty some odd years, Peggy's watching Unsolved Mysteries, the segment about the rival pizza place owner, mm-hmm. and she sees Lavar Bates interviewed. <laughs> As a an employee of one of the pizza places, <laughs> and so Peggy has a very interesting decision to make. Um, you know, because her daughter Kimber—that's uh, what she named her. Her Kimber's presumably grown up, grown up without a father. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, you know, Kimber has some idea of how she came into this world. Um, right. You know, this is pre-Facebook. This is this is. You know, this guy essentially fell off the face of the earth. Right, right. And, and here he is, 30 years later on Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, Peggy gets in touch with the show. Uh, she doesn't tell her daughter that she's found uh, her father. Uh, she gets in touch with the show because I think r- very wisely Peggy didn't... She was going to spring some pretty big news on this dude. Yeah, and she didn't want to set her her daughter up for further heartbreak if this guy maybe wanted nothing to do with it. Um, right. Again, like, oh man, I have a lot of thoughts about this segment. It, this one's pretty crazy. But so Peggy gets in touch with the show. The show gets in touch with Lavar, and they said, "Hey, uh, so you have this <laughs> daughter you don't know anything about. Um, would you be interested in in speaking with the mother?" And Lavar's like, okay. And what? What? Um, Lavar, since has been married, he has children of his own. Um, he uh, he agrees to be in touch with the mother, and he would said he would like to meet his daughter. Um, and so Kimber finally gets to meet her father. Yeah. Uh, Unsolved mysteries flies Lavar out. He wherever he from wherever he's living now to uh, back to Amarillo, Texas. And they have a very awkward, if not happy, reunion. Yes. And that's the end of the segment. <laughs> My God. This is so fascinating. They they got like a... They killed two birds with one stone with that pizza place segment. Yeah, they and... really did. But, you know, this segment was so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because LeVar... I mean, it's it's just like when you run through all the choices you make in your life, right? And you're like, if I had yeah. done this, my life would have been different. If I had done this, my life would have been different. And he... I was thinking, this guy never even had the opportunity to do the right thing. Right. He, di- he didn't know. Yeah. Circumstances just took them apart from each other. Mm-hmm. And, um... But also, what does doing the right thing mean? That's that's a big question too because like, this is a weird situation. It's such a weird situation. Like, I think about okay, well, maybe if his construction company hadn't of, um, 
transferred him, right? And Peggy had gone back and said, listen, you know, I'm pregnant. What would what would have happened? We don't know. Would he have felt obligated to marry this woman and raise the child? Presumably the choice of person that we're choosing at 22 or 18 maybe isn't the best choice for a life partner. And I think a lot of people have found themselves in these sort of like shotgun marriage situations where mm-hmm. in trying to do the right thing, they, they in fact create a very like miserable home life for raising children. Decades of misery. So, you know, and I'm also coming at this from like, I grew up without a dad and it sucked. I wish my father, um, also through no fault of his own, was not involved in my life. Uh, You know, and I'm coming at this from Kimber's point of view and I'm like, that that must have been really tough for her to like not know her dad. And maybe, maybe if technology had been different, maybe if Unsolved Mysteries had been around earlier she would have been able to have like a relationship with him earlier. But again, he would have maybe felt a sense of obligation that wouldn't have allowed him to like go on and, and presumably marry the woman that he truly loves and have that family. Mm-hmm. And maybe everyone, if they had known would have been a little less happy. Right. That's, that's a really interesting outlook on it that I hadn't contemplated. And I, I think, you know, to me, you're, you make a good point. Well, yeah, sometimes in doing the right thing, it ends up being the wrong thing. And, and I think LeVar, just based on his behavior as a much older man and, and wanting to be in contact with his daughter, he never knew. He seems like a decent fellow. You know what I mean? And it seems like he would have met his obligations head on. If he had known about them, but he didn't. So he moved on with his life. Yeah. And I don't know. This segment really screwed me up because I'm like, you know, it's all these little decisions, all these little circumstances that, have, that affect the entire course of your life. Oh, yeah. Like if his construction company hadn't transferred him, this story would end ended completely differently. This really is a uh, if you had gone left rather than gone right sort mm-hmm. of situation. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Now, oh, it's just starting to affect me now. It's uh, man, this little, this one little segment, this one little lost loves. I was like, what word? Sometimes it's the decisions we make, and sometimes it's the circumstances that we're in that kind of guide us on our path, you know. And then through this crazy other set of circumstances that makes it on television, this woman finally gets to meet her father. What would have happened if, at the beginning of graduate school, you mm-hmm. hadn't told me that? I had the voice and mannerisms of Paul Giamatti. Mm-hmm. Would this podcast exist? Oh, there's just like the faintest sousson of like uh, asparagus, and there's a just a flutter of like a like a nutty Edam cheese. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. You know, another one I play with sometimes too is like if I had been born with curly hair. <laughs> Uh, go, uh, elaborate. The, no, the entire course of my life would have been different because how people treated me and how they reacted to me, uh, who I dated, huh. all of it would have been different just if I had been born with curly hair. Damn. Yeah. I mean, lo- life's like that, you know? Shit. Yeah. Right. 
Well, anyway, do you want to talk about um, a guy who burned down a house and filmed it? <laughs> this this was actually a really gripping segment for me. This... Just it's so strange. It really made me laugh. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I mean, I should also say I don't believe anyone was hurt. No. Anyone was I, harmed. I think it was like a construction project that mm-hmm. got mm-hmm. So anyway, Robbie, do you want to talk about it? What is the chain of events? Of okay. This? Well, yes. We start out in 1989. A family is driving near Stockton, California. Mm-hmm. And they have to pull over because the car is overheated. Yeah. So the father who is, for the purposes of this segment, named Joseph Vila? I think that's right. Yes. Um, He decides to take his son with him to go find the nearest telephone to get help while they, you know, leave the mother back at the car. Uh, Which I found a little strange. Like, did that seem strange to you? Does it seem like he was just sort of like, eh, maybe my wife will get kidnapped, maybe not. I, um... Or, or I mean, on the other hand, the, no, the, I didn't really feel that way about it. Okay, well, I, think, I mean, that, I think that's a pretty normal thing to do, I, and I think he probably took his son with him, um, maybe to give mom a break. Oh, okay, yeah, you know? yeah, you're, you're right. Okay, as as I have to say so many times in this podcast, <laughs> you're right. uh, I didn't really, f- I didn't get the sense he was abandoning his wife to the wilderness. I think it was more like, honey, can you stay with the car? Junior and I are going to go uh, get some water to cool this thing down. Right. I don't, okay. <laughs> I don't think there's any more to it than that. But. No, no. I mean, I'm not suggesting that was what was happening. It just, mm-hmm. if I had like, it was sort of a thought that had filtered into my head while watching it. Anyway, getting on to the <laughs> reality of this segment and not slandering the, this poor family any more than I have. Uh, they, on the course of walking to get, get to a telephone or, or find some help they come across a camouflage jacket that's just laying on the side of the road mm-hmm. and so naturally they do what anyone would do in that situation and like investigate the jacket they find mm-hmm. was it a collection of like heavy metal cassette tapes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is something that came before cds mm-hmm. if, which is something that came before digital music mm-hmm. in addition to that they find a vhs tape now yeah. I think we've already discussed VHS tapes on, on this. I think program. everyone knows what VHS tapes are. I'm willing to bet that's not the case. Well, people have Google, you know? Yeah. I mean, we are here to educate and inform, but people can Google that. And we've already we've already explained how phones and uh, phone bills used to work Yeah. to the millennials. <laughs> okay. So we've done our public service. All right. So they take the tape with them. Mm-hmm. And eventually, when they return home, they decide to watch the videotape. And they are greeted with a very strange sight, which is, it is, they're greeted with, like, an, a, a, home, a, a recording of, you know, that was done by a person with, like, a, a camcorder mm-hmm. of, a, of a house burning. Mm-hmm. And you hear the the person doing the recording talking during the process it was it was very low i guess they had to like the police had to uh do some work on the tape to mm-hmm. bring out the, the sounds and 
as it turns out, the, the, this family has discovered a tape where someone recorded their own, their arson work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to say, I like the the reenactment of the family watching the tape. Mm-hmm. They all just look incensed. Like mm-hmm. this is clearly a family that takes law and order very seriously, and mm-hmm. they they are just offended by mm-hmm. this. Tape. Mm-hmm. So do they, you think it's fun though that they like not knowing what was on the tape? They're like sat down as a family with their young children, <laughs> and it is questionable that they did that. Yes, because it could have I mean, have been something much worse than a strange arson video. Well, my thinking is usually tapes that one finds out by the side of the road or in the woods are most often pornography, and that's had a high likelihood of being pornography. Did did I? I haven't told you, back when I was in the first or second grade, mm-hmm. I lived in Carson City on mm-hmm. Sherman Street. Mm-hmm. There was this empty lot across the street from my house and my next the next door house where a friend of mine lived. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd run around there doing hide and seek and all sorts of stuff. It was, you know, it was just a big empty lot with a lot of what was at the time for us, large, large sagebrush. Um and one time while doing something out there, we came across this grocery bag that was full of cassette tapes in mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. And we we took them back to his place to watch, uh, but we couldn't uh, – we really couldn't watch them because they were um, – you had like lines and all sorts of distortion going on. Mm-hmm. The – is is – father or stepfather i can't remember who it was uh came in stopped the tape because they thought like oh you know maybe we'd found like some sort of pornographic something or ever Mm -hmm. possible but the thing was the covers of these tapes and what i think is what happened the reason we couldn't watch them is they were set for a different region because Mm. the the covers of all these Mm-hmm. The writing was in some sort of Eastern Asian language, mm. and the the cut like the covers were like these pictures of like Asian guys in like detective outfits and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I really wish I had kept one of those. I kind of really wish you had too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what? And you found this in an abandoned lot in Carson City in the eighties. Yes, it was. <laughs> It was in a grocery, grocery bag. There were like, at, there were like seven or eight tapes. I, several of them were the, I think, the exact same tape. There may have been like two different, two different movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So some, apparently, some Chinese guy in Carson City in the eighties who had like, you know, uh, access to movies made in Eastern Asia. Ended up with several of these mm-hmm. and for some reason abandoned them. I don't know. This is weirder than finding pornography. <laughs> this is. It is totally weirder. Wow. Yeah. This is like an unsolved mystery within an unsolved mystery. So if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> and you left those tapes. <laughs> please get a hold with us and uh, at least tell us what the movies were uh, so that we can look them up on Internet Movie Database. Anyway, so, um... the police do their their Hollywood magic on the tapes, which brings out like some voices on the tapes. Yeah. And naturally, 
between the because in the tapes you get a lot of references to hell yeah and stuff you get a lot of references to omar omar yeah the guy on the tape saying look at it omar omar um the voice that this guy is using on the the narrator of this arson tape really is very breathy I want my kitty. Frig off, Bubbles. He gave me the cat. I didn't say you could keep him, and I don't want him living in a fucking car. The police described this tape as being really creepy. I didn't think it was creepy. I thought it was funny because the voice that this guy is using, he's so clearly like some overdramatic kid. Yes, being totally. Like, this, is, this is hell. I'm creating hell. Do you love it, Omar? Like, <laughs> I'm a demon, and I worship demons and this is hell and i love the flames it was like not creepy it was just dumb unfortunately between that and when they uh when they found found the uh, the jacket was still on the road they found like what a wood pestle yes and a skull and and with no hesitation <laughs> and in a very matter of fact voice robert stack lets us know that the, that pestle that particular kind is used to crush up herbs and satanic rituals so yes we have a satanic panic segment satanic panic segment it's been so long since we've had one and it is here here it is here it is you know what satan worshippers love is to set houses on fire and crush up herbs i think it was probably in combination with the heavy metal tapes and like Mm. there was a little skull Again, they found like a little skull thing. A ceramic skull, yeah. Yeah, and they're like, this was used to worship Satan. And it's like, um, <laughs> no, it probably wasn't. Also, you fucking nerds, how else are you supposed to grind up your weed than with a mortar and a pestle? Wait, you grind up weed? Yeah, if you're gonna, if you're, I've heard that if you're gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna nice roll, a, roll a joint, um, you want to grind up your weed, uh, and a mortar and a pestle is a very good way to do that. So, these goddamn squares are like, oh, this was used for Satan worship. Probably wasn't, and I would say definitely with the combination of heavy metal tapes, you have some stoners on your hands. I yes, the thing is, everything they found, and that led them to conclude Satanism. Yeah. It led it's me to these guys are just dumb burnouts dumb smoking a lot of weed with like jackets that have yeah. you know heavy metal bands on yeah. on the back. Yes, yeah. and if oh. you go back and listen to the voice on the the, the arson tape, is these guys just sound high and stupid. They're not making any sense. <laughs> cool. <laughs> fire! 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 Please. <laughs> 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 yeah i mean it's i mean they sound like this guy sounds like i uh, maybe not bubbles maybe it just sounds like freaking beavis from beavis and butthead oh, you know uh, yeah that that's that's probably a much better explanation than satanic cult um i yeah i know i know that it is <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but like the all these nerds are being like whoa why what else would you use a pestle for other than to grind up herbs to worship satan it's like Nah, dog. I don't think that's what's going on. Uh, anyway, um, so they're so they're not able to um, figure out where where even this fire took place. They don't know what was burned down. Um, they have a few like peripheral clues in the tape. They see like a construction trailer. Um, yes. Eventually, fire trucks come to put the blaze out, so they know that it was reported somewhere. So 
Um, so and they, and they they know the date because right because they our, say it on the, the arsonist that says nineteen eighty eight and I yeah. and also the um the t- like because apparently this tape got recorded over something that was already been record- recorded mm-hmm. over as they make reference to TV commercials yeah. on the tape yeah and then those were from nineteen eighty eight they were able to verify as well um, yeah I have I I don't want to I don't mm-hmm. want to these astray but I have to say. I am immensely I'm curious That's what the about are. what's on yeah. the rest of the yeah. tape. I want to know too. I want to know too. I wonder if this thing's on YouTube, like the full unedited tape. Oh, maybe we'll look it up later. Yes, yes. I'm very curious as well. I want to know what were the context clues <laughs> for those commercials. Um, yeah, so basically the segment ends. They don't have any answers, but then we get an update. And it turns out that the arson incident happened in Redwood City, which is like about an hour drive mm-hmm. from Stockton or something, mm-hmm. hour and a half. And uh, yeah, like the the police chief, uh, apparently the 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 fire crew, one of the members of the fire crew, had actually recorded the exact same fire. Yeah, just from a different own, angle. Yeah, different angle. So you have a, a neat thing there. They tried uh, to you know um shift through that tape hoping for some sort of clue uh i can't remember how how they i think it was just broadcasting the segment originally mm-hmm. somehow they ended up with some tips that led them to a 17 year old and inside who then led them to a 19 year old and the police were able to grill them uh, enough to get get confessions mm-hmm. So so it turns out it was two individuals. This wasn't like the the arsonist talking to whoever the house owner or construction mm-hmm. crew was. He was he was this was this was Beavis and Butthead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was and, Omar and whoever else. Else, yeah. Apparently, if I recall correctly, one of the arsonists ended up in uh, juvie. Uh, I think. Juvie. And I think the 19-year-old was committed to a state mental hospital. State mental hospital, yeah. which, considering some of the, the dialogue in that tape, is not surprising. Yeah. I, you know, and they rebuilt the house, too. So yeah, everything worked out, pretty much. It's fine. And we, and we have... <laughs> this, 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 this was... I love this segment. It was really interesting. I mean, and the fact that, like, I, my my attention was held so deeply by a segment where it's mostly just people watching TV mm-hmm. is is so so great. Yeah, no, this was a this was fun and it was fun because no one was actually hurt. Yes, but it was just uh, it was a little dash of satanic panic. It 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 ticked all the boxes. The very end of this episode has a kind of... I don't really like when they drop the stuff at the end of the episode because it just leaves a weird taste in my mouth. It's it's a missing persons case. Uh, the long and short of it is a uh, uh, Hispanic woman, and I only mention this because it's very clear that English is not her first language when they mm-hmm. interview her. Um, she gives birth to a baby in 1985. Um she's still in the maternity ward she goes to look at her baby through the big like uh windows i guess they kept all the the babies i don't do this anymore 
<laughs> but they kept all the babies in like a holding pen. Yeah. In the hospital. I've, I'm sure you guys have seen this trope on old television shows. This is not something that is done any longer. But uh, yeah, so this woman, this mother goes to look at her child. And there's a, a another woman, kind of like a real... Like a, I want to say a really young Angela Lansbury type. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if that's right, but she's also admiring this woman's baby, and she's like, "Your baby's very beautiful, like cool baby." And then the mom's like, "Yeah, thanks. I think it's pretty excited about this cool baby that I just had." And um, anyway, the mom was set to check out of the hospital that night with her baby. She's leaving with her two sisters-in-law. Um, this woman with the short hair that had been admiring the baby earlier comes out, was like waiting for them outside the hospital and holds them up at gunpoint saying, you know, walk. And they go about six blocks until they're in front of some like abandoned junkyard. This woman, this crazed woman is like, give me your baby or I'll blow its head off, which is like, whoa. And then they're showing and they reenact with this very large gun being pointed at what I, I know there was no baby actually in the filming of this, but very disturbing image. The, every <laughs> segment, every segment in this episode had something to interest you. And man, seeing a gun held at a baby. Yeah. That's pretty uh, intense on solved mysteries. You know, it's, and it's also like a very like King Solomon situation, right? Mm-hmm. You remember the story of King Solomon? Yeah. He, uh, there was a, um, baby and the two women were like it's mine mm-hmm. and he's like oh i'll just cut it in half then and the one that's like no no don't 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 you know mm-hmm. I, I see the baby hurt and king solomon's like then you're the true mother mm-hmm. because you don't want the kid hurt yeah the, the 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 mother the true mother says you know well then give the other woman the baby because i don't want to see it cut in half so yeah. it's a very much the situation is the woman gives up her baby because she doesn't want to see it harmed. Um, and then it's uh, many years down the line and there's no update. End of episode. It it's a like, real punch it, to the stomach. Yeah, just so simmer on that is what Unsolved Mysteries wants us to do. They, yeah, I I would prefer if they like arrange the segments so that the last one <laughs> watch gets mm-hmm. solved mm-hmm. i mean because it's really un- it, at least it isn't like um they, yeah they keep sticking like really horrifying stories horrifying ones yeah this... yeah last time it was a uh, new mexico bowling alley massacre at the end of season two I think. oh god yes yeah. that's also horrible yeah th- the thing is is that maybe the audience doesn't want to leave the show on a, a mm-hmm. bummer note mm-hmm. that w- w- it used to be that you could actually figure out like in in big wrestling shows like Mm -hmm. wrestlemania and stuff you could actually guess who was going to win before you'd even watch the wrestling program Mm -hmm. because typically what they would do is if the um the good character the face was Mm going to win Mm -hmm. make that the last uh uh the, you know, win the championship. They'd make that the last match of the night, so that the audience, you know, gets to go home mm-hmm. in really uh, high spirits. But if the if the bad guy, the heel, was going to win the the championship, they put that in the middle of the show, so that you'd have other things that you could 
be, you know, excited about and soothe your, you know, sort of have a salve instead of walking out like, oh, shucks. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Unsolved Mysteries maybe needs to take a, a page out from the, I guess, professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I probably would have put that missing baby segment a little maybe right after the UFO one. Right. And then, and then ended the show with the Lost Loves update. Yes, on. because that's 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 like that's a really nice way to end the show, I thought. So yeah, we've been going at this for like a long time. We should probably wrap it up. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um. I well, granted, there was a lot of long pauses and things that we're gonna cut out, but yeah, we're at an hour and twenty one minutes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, okay. Let, let, let's wrap it up. Let's uh, wrap it up. Uh, let's do Follow this. us on social media. Mm-hmm. Twitter at Reenacted Pod. Uh, Facebook, Reenacted and Unsolved Mysteries Podcast is on there too. Uh, go to iTunes or however you listen to our program and give us five stars. Yeah, please. Please yes. do that. Um, and maybe in the future we'll have another giveaway contest. If we hit, I don't know, some arbitrary mark like Wow, well, 45 reviews, maybe? We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what Robbie can uh, dig up from his archives that we could <laughs> sign and send off. <laughs> um, I think if he had held on to one of those detective, East Asian detective movie VHSs, that would have been primo. <sighs> but well, you didn't have the prescience to know that decades later you'd be doing a <laughs> nostalgia <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Yes, yes, it was a big, uh, a big oversight on like six-year-old me's part. Yeah, you really, uh, you really screwed the pooch on that one, Robbie. Uh, anyway, uh, do you want to, you want to do the thing? Yes. Watch close. You can help solve a mystery. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone's watching. Perhaps it's you. Hi, I'm Chris, and this is Anna with MCI. She recently started a great friends and family calling circle. A group of friends that wanted to get back in touch. I believe I actually said we should resume communicating. So Anna called, and I signed up. And Chris called me. I thought if anybody belongs in friends and family, it's us. I used to get tired of staring at those faces. Now I kind of miss them. I joined to save the 20% because when I call him, I end up talking to an answering machine, which is more interesting than he is. I'm usually home. I'm just selective about the calls I take. <laughs> when they were forming the circle they obviously saved the best for last oh that's why she called me next who is that how did he get in here there seems to be some error i believe you were in the wrong circle colin starts saving an extra 20 percent on calls to your own friends and family circle every week thousands of people join the millions who already have mci friends and family if you'd like to be one of them give us a ring after all shouldn't your least expensive calls be to the people you care about and call all the time 